This is Consenshu, the podcast, episode 299 for the week of May 21st, 2012. What up, Internet? Welcome to Konzenshu. The podcast. That's correct, sir. An extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball Mega Fan Website Portal Community Thing. Konzenshu. Oh, no. I feel like fan site isn't appropriate anymore. We've uh, evolved past that into yeah, something else. Yeah, what would else. it be? I don't know. Uh, Mega site. Well, what we do is we cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. This week, it is the two, I guess you can call us co-founders, I suppose. Of Ooh, Kanzenshu. I like that. Yes, yes. It's like we're Konzenshu LLC. Hi, I'm co-founder number one. My name is Mike Vegito EX. And over here to my uh, west is co-founder number to Mr. Hujio Heath, sir. Welcome. Thanks for having me. You want to do the entire show in shitty radio voices? I know. We could do that the whole show. Really, you know, make it entertaining. I really could. I'm already two beers in, so it's not going to take much at this point. You're just sitting over there laughing to yourself, just shaking your head. You're doing that thing again where you're not talking, and I can't tell if Skype just oh, died. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you supposed to talk for podcasts? I've only done, you know... A few. We, we've got like 299 of these under the belt, so to speak. Like, so You weren't there for all the years i was there man well I see was now we're merged so i can take credit for everything that you've ever done all right man here we are episode 299 we're closing in on a magical 300 i don't know what it's gonna be maybe by the grace of dende it will be a gt review of awesomeness not entirely sure but this episode it's just you and i heath and mike here we are doing a follow-up to a prior episode where we did uh i was about to say an interview with although that would be Awesome. Oh, that would be totally awesome. <laughs> if we interviewed uh, a profile, not a character profile, kind of a, a production profile. Previously, we did an episode on Minoru Maeda, a very, very well-known, prolific, uh, what do you want to call him? Like supervisor, animator, extraordinaire? Yeah, that sounds good to me. I'm sure he would take that title. And we're moving on to, I don't know if I want to call him number two or number one. I mean, the more we talked about Maeda, the more he kind of elevated in my mind, but Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru has always been, I've described him as Toriyama's right-hand man as he had such involvement with so many different things and production materials and ancillary merchandise and stuff. He was right there that whole time too. And we're going to do a profile on him. Thanks to you doing all the research while I uh, I play video games today. Yeah, I saw that. I love having you. Don't think these things go unnoticed. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. So that's our plan this episode. You and I, we're going to cruise through that. We've got a news story, sort of, kind of. The news story of the century. I don't even know. How video game this. century. I told Mary the other day as we were getting ready for work because, you know, it broke kind of overnight and she uh, came out. We're getting ready to head off to work. I say, hey, Mary, guess what? Sparking Omega. And she just kind of like sighs and walks downstairs, not even really responding to me. That's just I'm surprised she even at. believed you to begin with. <laughs> it's true. I got any response at all. Any acknowledgement. Uh, that's going to be the news because that's the only news this week. And then we got our topic and releases. Uh, no, I uh, I guess technically they're coming up, so maybe we'll mention it. I don't know. It's sort of already out there. And we'll see if we have any emails. It's going to be a full jam-packed episode. So, uh, I don't think we've done much site no, no, you did uh, put some more manga guide stuff back up on the site. I did. I've only been working on that for like a month. But I know, I know, and it's not even that's done. What happens? Yeah, um, I did the first 194 manga 
chapters. So those are finally up. Which that kind of ties in with the news story from last week. Yeah, it covers up through the mysterious, same of the chapter, mysterious alien warrior. I already forgot. Yes, sure. I'm going with that. The, yeah, pre-Z portion of the manga. So that's good. But also all the main pages for all the manga sub guide things were updated and i'm glad that the we can sort of call it the oishi page because it's basically all her right now that got some nice updates too yeah i was really happy with that because we kind of both put a little bit into that and it was something that i always wanted to redo because i had hastily done it before and this time I rewrote a ton of it, and then you rewrote some of it. I rewrote your rewriting. So it's just really good to have it done because we needed to document it somewhere. Right. Because it was getting kind of hard to direct people to someplace to look at it. And it's still not even done because we have to go back and add in the 2012 monthly chapters of Dragon Ball SD. Uh, right now, we just have the 2011, the four quarterly chapters documented there with the covers and the information release Yeah, the dates. four was enough for me because I didn't want to have to look anything else up at that point. No, I... I was done. Well, I actually own some of the monthly Psycho Jump, so it should be relatively easy to add in some of that information. I guess I can go back in and do that at some point, too. I'm glad you're volunteering. And I can measure them because it's a different size than the quarterly Psycho Jumps. And Yeah, I noticed that I, at first I didn't until I bought the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. And it's so much smaller than the first initial ones that they did out that were quarterly. And I guess half the quarterly, the first two were larger size, and then they cut down for the last two. Oh, okay. Apparently they've stayed the same size ever since. Only got the... Oh my God, did I only ever pick up the first of the quarterlies you and I did? And then I don't I think know so. that I, I'd have to go back and check. It's one of those things where I'm not sure what I buy. And then I go back upstairs into the loft to look at the bookshelf and go, oh, I did buy those things. Oh, I know how that goes. I've got piles of V-Jump sitting around. I don't even know why I have them. All right, Heath. So that's sort of site content right now. Julian's getting ready to wrap up uh, video game stuff. I think he asked me to double check a couple of the legend songs for him. So hopefully that's... That'll be up this week. That's all the meta. That's all the site content stuff. Let's talk news. Sure. Why not? This stupid news story. I don't even know, man. How do you describe this? It's one of those stories where I'm going, all right, the actual update itself, and you can see the content of the update is really one, two sentences. And then the rest of it is how the hell you put this in context it's all the bs that goes around it and you have to to appropriately report this story so the meat of the story is andrea sang and silicon era both very reputable knowledgeable well-known sites that cover japanese gaming in particular both updated and said that apparently people who have the upcoming issue of v jump every issue of v jump comes out on the 21st of that month and it is for two months from then sort of kind of so the yeah, issue which is really weird Yeah, the dates are confusing there. I don't understand why it's two months ahead. But anyway, so the issue that's coming out on May 21st is the issue number seven, the July issue for 2012. Anyway, they're saying that uh, this upcoming issue of V-Jump reveals that Sparking Omega for the PS3 and the Xbox 360 is coming this winter. And that's really all we know. Oh, big roster and, you know, more details when the... Tons and tons of characters. So... 
the way that these news stories break is exactly how this went down. That's are the V jump issues coming out in like four or five days. Someone will type up a real quick list of like, here are the announcements that are in this magazine. And then usually within 24 hours, we get shitty scans that someone in a warehouse somewhere took from the magazine. And then on the actual release date itself, people go through and actually get a chance to read the magazine. And in terms of the internet, of course, you get the full raw scans from everywhere. That's how it always goes down. This had been going down the exact same way. No reason to distrust or not believe this coming from reputable sites. Silicon Era in particular. I mean, they're the ones that are always uh, getting not patents, but Japanese trademarks, that kind of stuff. That's how we learned about Ultimate Butoden, Zenkai, Battle Royale. The licensing things. Why would we not pay attention to the story? And it was being reported everywhere. All right, these two sites are reporting this is happening. Well, well, on top of that, it was also just on the Japanese side of things. There were tons of blogs that I always go to, and yep, they yep. were posting it, and yeah, it's on all it. sorts of forums. And I think Two Chan had it, and it was yep, everywhere. Sure, I, I even have some Chinese forums that I usually frequent. Just uh, if, figure if it's over here, it's going to be over here, and they're all kind of corroborating each other's stories. But it seems to be where someone talked about it in one place, and then everyone else just kind of regurgitated what the other was saying. And of course, we did the same thing. Comes to be, sort of, we're not entirely sure, because as of this recording, the magazine, at least in Japan, is still not out for another day officially, but this may not be in this magazine. So what do we do? Keith, Go. Sorry, people. We screwed up. I mean, Mike screwed up. Wait, no, it, damn it. Now, now we're linked together. This is horrible. <laughs> no, it's less about us screwing up. I mean, not yeah, to... I, I don't know. It's tough because we're reporting what others are reporting. And there have been plenty of rumors out there. You go back to... Uh, we took shit for it, but I mean, it came true in the end. That story that was on, was it Bleeding Cool about Toriyama's doing the new version of the manga? Well, yes. no, that never happened, and we couldn't track down a primary source for that because that wasn't a site that we were used to sourcing for these kinds of stories. Well, Silicon Era, the internet as a whole, totally trusts. So, so are you thinking that it's not going to be in V-Jump? Uh, at this point, I'm leaning toward we haven't seen anything about it, and other people are saying that they've flipped through it and it's not in there, other than the expected Heroes stuff. Was it like Gogeta and some GT stuff, I think, for Heroes yeah. that was expected? I and mean, that was previewed on the V-Jump site for well, the next issue. Well, I know issue. on a lot of the Japanese blogs that I read, I mean, they were pretty specific that, you know, it has Super Saiyan 4, right. Goku, and Vegeta, and right. Ozaru's on there, and all that business. So unless somebody's just making up, which is, you know, perfectly plausible. You know, someone's having to field it. It only takes one person. And mm-hmm. this, this stuff happens. A genius happens. in April Fool's genius. Uh, I know Super Saiyan Prime on the forum was pointing out, hey, if you actually go back to the Japanese posts, it's interesting that certain words are written in kana or not in kana compared to how it used to be written. But is that just the person writing it online? Is that how it actually is in the magazine? Don't really know. But at this point, we're still a day away from the magazine's release. But if other things are being posted from the magazine with visual proof and we haven't seen this, I don't know. I'm leaning toward not sure. So let's take a step back and think about, I don't know, would this have made 
sense to be a product to release when we know that Dragon Ball Z for Connect is coming out. And that's basically just Ultimate Blast, Ultimate Tenkaichi in its own first person format with Connect. We sort of know through retailer listings that something that may or may not be related to the Sparking series is coming to 360 and PS3. Is it a collection of prior Sparking games in HD? Or is it... For a while, I was almost believing... By for a while, we're talking internet time here. So, you know, in the span of about three hours, which feels like an eternity. I was thinking that maybe that Dragon Ball HD listing, that Budokai Tenkaichi collection listing, maybe that was actually just this Sparking Omega because it wouldn't make sense to have an HD release of Meteor and then put out what is ostensibly an improved version of Meteor after that. And people on the forum brought up... There have been HD collections of games before, and they're, they exist to build up demand and hype for this new product. I think it would be very, very different for these particular Dragon Ball games, where they're a yearly iteration of the prior game, and I'm still trying to figure out what the differences are, because I don't remember, between Sparking, Neo, and Meteor. Obviously, there's a big jump between Sparking and Neo, but Neo to Meteor is like, eh, why would I play Neo if I can play Meteor? Some Isn't of the it mostly just the additional characters? It's mostly most characters. There were a couple little things. The only one that I could remember and anyone could corroborate for me was the um, there's a lock on that you have when you're free flying around. Apparently, you could manually disengage that in Neo and kind of fly wherever you wanted. But in Meteor, you were almost always locked onto it unless you got knocked out of it specifically. So there are things like and there are lots of other little things here and there, too. But that's kind of one of the bigger ones because they all ran on the same engine and everything. Yeah, it was just I don't think they ever even really updated that. Yeah, it's just the same game year after year. Mm -hmm. So, Heath, let me toss it over to you. I, I feel like I'm confusing myself talking about it. If you didn't live through all of these games, when was Sparking 1? Was that 2005, I think Five. it is? 5, 6, and 7. It's almost hard to keep track of them. I almost compare myself to an outsider looking in on like Naruto games, where there's the PSP games, and then there's the PS3 and Xbox 360 games, and then there, there are the games that were produced in America exclusively, and I don't know what they all are, and if you didn't live through these Dragon Ball games, how would you know what they all are? I have no idea how you know it. I mean, then you have Sparking, and then you have the original... Dragon Ball Z games that came out before that and all these things that just that run in series and if you don't know one from the other you might not even know which order they were released in yeah yeah and then the Raging Blast was the next generation of sparking games like we already have an HD sparking it's Raging Blast and Raging Blast 2 so and we know how great those were then I was like well we already have that series on the current consoles. It's called Raging Blast. Why would you go back to the prior generation's branding? And I think it holds more sway over here in North America than it did over in Japan. Uh, just that Tenkaichi branding, as seen by Ultimate Blast being released here as Ultimate Tenkaichi, where it kept the Blast branding in Japan, but over here, they tossed back the Tenkaichi branding on it, despite us getting Raging Blast named to the same thing. Well, I mean, I that's kind of what I was originally thinking anyway, is they just want to go back to it to kind of get that name brand back in that they know that people liked. Uh, I don't know if it would work. Yeah, Maybe we'll I find know. out. I But the whole thing is just so confusing. 
confusing because half of it makes sense and the other half doesn't make sense and vice versa. It just you feel like you run around in circles with this thing because we don't know what to do with it. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Like we don't even really know how to report it or talk about it. And then what's real? How do you explain that to people who don't already know it? This story sucks. Let's talk about not video games. Agreed. All right, let's go to our topic. All right. So in my haste to get this done, because we came up with this the day before, I've just been burning through my research and my resources, and I cannot explain how much fun I had with this. So I hope that comes across. And I learned something. I learned that Katsuyoshi Nakasu was born on May 22nd, 1962. And that may not mean anything to anyone out there, but my birthday is May 22nd. Which is coming up soon, and it's not quite the day that this podcast comes out. Maybe by the time I post it, it'll be the 22nd in Japan. It might be. Who knows? So happy birthday? happy birthday to him. So that's so cool. That is cool. So anyway, with that out of the way, we're just going to jump right in, do a little history, because I love to do the history. I think it really sets things up. Nakasu was interviewed in the fifth issue of Animage, which is a Japanese monthly anime magazine, and he was interviewed back in 1988. Now, the magazine is really known for serializing the renowned manga Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind. Yes. So... I think a lot of people are actually more familiar with the magazine than I may be. After graduating from high school in 1980, Nakasu immediately began working for Toei Animation, and he did it more as a collaborative effort working on foreign anime adaptations and things like that, something that Toei Animation had really just started up. It it wasn't something that they had done a whole lot of, so it's kind of interesting that he started on that because it was almost his in in a way. And from there, in 1986, Toy Animation announced that they were going to create an adaptation of Toriyama's famed Dragon Ball. Now, at this point, Nakasuru had been a huge fan of Toriyama. He loved Dr. Slump. He had been following him since Toriyama's debut in 1979. And he immediately volunteered to be on this Dragon Ball project because he wanted to be a part of it. And so right away, we get this sense this feeling that he wanted mm. to meet Toriyama almost. He, you know, he was such a fanboy at heart that he leaped at the chance. So this was actually the first Japanese animation that he was ever involved with. If you go back and look at any of his prior credits, there's nothing in the Japanese market at all. I think that story is really important because, yeah, I mean, Toriyama was enjoying what he was doing, But it was also just a job to him as well. We know that he got involved with manga just to make money. It wasn't that he was doing this for the better of mankind. He wanted a paycheck. And it's really good to know that some of the people, Nakatsuru here in particular, weren't just getting assigned to the project and, oh, you know, maybe he liked it and made it better, but he volunteered for it because he totally loved it. Which is just great. And we'll talk about it more because by the end, when he starts having actual conversations with Toriyama, it's just, it's really neat. To see yeah, what yeah. <laughs> they're fun conversations between the two of them. He began work as a key animator for Dragon Ball and he worked primarily under our one and only hero, Minoru Maeda, during Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z up until Maeda left, you know, partway through Dragon Ball Z. He shared the role of character designer with Tadayoshi Yamamuro, in Dragon Ball Z from the mid-cell arc all the way up until the end. And a lot of people know him from that specifically that don't 
you know, solely follow Dragon Ball GT. Mm-hmm. But he did end up solely taking over the role of character designer in Dragon Ball GT. And so I've always found with uh, Nakasu that there is a divide in his fandom of people that mostly know him from GT and people that mostly know him from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it's interesting because I do think of him in both of those roles and are almost kind of two distinct people in my head, despite it being the same person. Right, it's, it's almost exclusively, you know, it's really weird because you don't see that with a lot of other animators, especially on such a long running series where he was involved from, he came on his first key animation job was Dragon Ball Episode 4. And he worked all the way up until GT Episode 64. Yeah. So, I mean, he was around for the whole thing, but it's just kind of weird that there is a little bit of divide because some people know one series more than the other, and that's what they know him for. Right. So, But he was there the whole time. How many other people were there that entire stretch? I mean, other than Tori... And not even Toriyama was because his involvement with GT was limited and early on. There were, there were a few. Uh, there were not many... Because there was a large turnover when GET yeah, hit. Yeah. Um, Takao Koyama left, so he was replaced. There were a lot of the producers replaced for GT. So he was, I would almost say, the main glue that mm. held the staff together for GT. And I think you but. see that in the art style as well. We'll talk more about his art and all that stuff. So then, while Dragon Ball Z was wrapping up and GT was just getting started... Uh, Nakatsuru and Takao Koyama, who I just mentioned, who was the series organizer and planner for Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, but left for GT. Together, they released a follow-up Dr. Slump manga entitled The Brief Return of Dr. Slump. And that ran for 40 chapters from 1993 to 1996 in V-Jump. That's interesting. So it's like a, a precursor to the second TV series. Yep. And there's actually uh, one scene in there. Well, I shouldn't say scene. It's a title page for one of the chapters where Nakatsu draws... Um, I'll throw the picture up. I'll send it to you. But okay. He draws kind of a crater. And on one side, there's all of these Dr. Slump characters. And then on the bottom, on the, basically the other side of the crater... Or not crater. Meteor, whatever have uh-huh. you, is the Dragon Ball GT characters. So oh. they have a spaceship and like... Son Goku and Trunks and Pan, and it's just oh, really nice. neat. But Dragon Ball characters aren't actually featured at all in the manga. It wouldn't be until they actually did the Doctor Slump remake that yeah, we got a little bit in appeared. there. So these actually were released. Uh, there were four Tonkabon after it was in V Jump originally, and then like I mentioned, following GT, he was a character designer for the successor on Fuji TV, the 1990s remake of Doctor Slump. So it's just kind of neat how these things all tie together. And like we talked about previously, you know, his love for just Toriyama, he was a Dr. Slump fan. He was a Toriyama fan overall, more than anything. Right. And so he really became involved in everything that had to do with Toriyama. In fact, in 1998, he again collaborated with Takao Koyama to create a three-part manga, which was entitled Cash Man, which I think some people have read, but it's, I know it's been republished in a bunch of different works yeah, yeah. a lot of his shorts Toriyama wasn't involved in the previous Dr. Slump manga that you know these two guys released but Toriyama actually supervised the Cashman manga and he provided the original story concept but it was ultimately written by Okoyama and completely illustrated by Nakatsuru I was just about to say what you have in the outline here I wasn't even paying attention very similar to the 2008 Jump Super Animator special yeah which you know took Toriyama was involved with that. He came up with the original concept, but again, it was Koyama that came in and 
adapted it into the actual screenplay. Right. The only difference with that is Nakatsuru wasn't involved. That was uh, Tadayoshi. Following that, he became the character designer for the first four Digimon series, the Digimon Adventures. Uh, There were two series for that, one and two, Digimon Tamers and Digimon Frontier. Now, according to Japanese Wikipedia, he's a freelance animator now, even though we know he's, he's done a couple things here and there. And it's never really said exactly when he left Toei Animation, but I think it's probably around this time, the mid-2000s that he left, because this is the point where it kind of breaks away and starts working on other projects that aren't necessarily Toei Animation related. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just kind of in that mid-2000s range. And then he would also go on to be the character designer and main illustrator for several of Toriyama's Dragon Quest games. Now, I actually want to mention, uh, I sort of played through until like the final optional secret boss of Monsters Joker 2 on DS. Mm -hmm. And the main hero of that game, I mean, it's very Toriyama, but it's very much more Nakatsuru than it is Toriyama. So I'm curious if that design in particular, it it always felt like uh, it's more refined Toriyama than Toriyama himself. So it might have been Nikatsuru who... It wasn't of, quite lazy enough to be Toriyama. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just had that GT more style. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. Yeah. It's just kind of weird because Nakatsuru was character designer for Dragon Quest, but Toriyama was also a character designer. So it's kind of like they switched off. They collaborated a lot. <laughs> Which is the real Toriyama. Exactly. Who is the real Toriyama? That is the question that we're going to answer by the end of this. Okay. You know? But then he was the main illustrator as well. So he did a lot of the, the cover art. He did... Um, for mm. the video games and all sorts of stuff. So makes sense. Yeah. It's like, Hey, Toriyama's busy this weekend. We'll just get Nakatsuru to come do it. Cause and, and we'll credit Toriyama and all the promotion for it, even though it's really Nakatsuru. Uh, so more recently, he's not really done a whole lot. He's been otherwise quiet on the animation front, but he did recently do some key animating for a few episodes of one piece, So I don't know if he's come back more recently and done other things, but he seems to (laughs) pop in here and there every once in a while. And it won't be consistent. He'll do one episode, and then you'll go through huge chunks, and he'll come back, and he'll do another episode, and so on. So, and he does that on a few series, but he hasn't really done a whole lot since Digimon. It's been few and far in between. Now, as far as his Dragon Ball history goes, this is what I think everyone, including myself and you, will be most excited to talk about. I was... Really intrigued because it's not something you ever think of. You think Nakatsuru and you're like, gosh, this guy is so involved in the series. And it's such a lengthy series. But in actuality, he was only an animation supervisor or director, what have you, for two episodes of Dragon Ball Z. He supervised the Bardock TV anime special. And then he was supervisor for Dragon Ball Z Movie 4. (laughs) You have two different ends of the spectrum here. We got the Bardock TV special. Awesome. You've got DBZ Movie 4, utter shit. But we've talked about that before where, and I remember Jake was mad at me because I stole his quote, where we think there were too many cooks in the kitchen for Movie 4 there, so. Well, and it's totally true because he wasn't the only supervisor for Dragon Balls in Movie 4. Right, right. I think it was uh, Sato Misaki mm-hmm, right. was also. So it was kind of like, well, we'll have these two guys do this, and then they had somebody else do this, and they had so many key animators. <laughs> Try tying it, it all together. Like, oh. Yeah, disaster. But uh, it just, to me, this is more my personal opinion, it just kind of seems like he never wanted this stressful job of being an animation supervisor, and he was completely fine 
with being a key animator. So he wanted to get his hands dirty and do the actual work rather than kind of manage all the people doing it. Which is, is kind of weird because he, it it shows more when he becomes a character designer, Mm -hmm. he kind of backed off a couple of his responsibilities, which we'll talk about in a second. But the really odd thing that I found is he comes into his career as a key animator. He's so psyched to, to do Dragon Ball. Right, right. So he signs up right away. He's a key animator. And then he slowly works his way under Minoru Maeda to become this renowned character designer that when you speak of Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT, you love this man. Yeah, you're really talking about him more than you are Toriyama if you're talking about the TV adaptation. Exactly. And then now when you get later into his career when he's doing other series and it almost seems like he's tired of even doing the character designer and he's completely fine with just going back to i'll just be a key animator Mm -hmm. i'll just do that that's fine like for instance when they did the jump super anime tour special it was tadayoshi was the tadayoshi yamamura was the character designer and the animation supervisor and you'll notice that a lot of times he is the one that stepped in that role later Mm -hmm. more than uh, Nakatsuru did but at the same time Nakatsuru was there as a key animator for the special so they're both there Mm -hmm. but he just didn't really feel like doing it apparently I can understand that and it's not that he doesn't have the aspiration I mean maybe we're putting words and thoughts into his head here which we can do that because he's not going to say anything it's tough but yeah it it seems to me like he's more the kind of guy who I just love it I just want to work on it just let me have fun working on the series and you all come up with the concepts Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is very almost Toriyama-esque where, mm. you know, he's he's said in later interviews that, and it's very reminiscent of Toriyama because what I'm about to say is almost exactly what Toriyama said in some of his interviews where uh-huh. he's like, I would draw something and, you know, I'd work with it and I'd really toil over it because I couldn't get it just the way I wanted. And then when I finally thought I got it, I'd walk away, come back and, oh, I just hated it. Nah, this is how crap. I drew it. Yep. And it was like, you know, it'd be a year later and, oh, this is just crap. I can't believe this. And I think they both suffered from the same thing where they're just never happy with their work. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happens. But then also, like I was talking about, you know, we're talking about how he wanted to be more of a key animator and then he kind of became a character designer. Well, when it comes to the movies, before becoming the main character designer for the TV series, Nakatsuru was the lead animator in most of the movies you know dragon ball movie one and two the first two dragon ball z movies and then five six and seven so he was very much involved he was always credited the first person for key mm-hmm. animators in all those movies so obviously had a pretty large role everyone knew he was really good which you know he there's a reason he became the character designer but then when minoru maeda left the series it was yamamuro became the character designer more for the movies because it's always been kind of odd and I've always found it a little hard to explain. In the Dragon Ball Z credits, they always just have Nakatsuru down as being the character designer. Well, Tadayoshi Yamuro is always listed as a character designer for a lot of the movies. But then when you read interviews, it lists both of them as being Dragon Ball Z character designers for the TV series. So it's never really distinguished who did what. But if you kind of pick up on their styles... You can Mm -hmm. tell that Tadayoshi Yamuro did more of the Majin Buu arc, whereas Nakatsuru did more of the Cell arc. So it's just kind of little things like that. But then Nakatsuru almost completely switches focus 
onto the TV series once Maeda left. So Yamamuro completely took over the movies for the most part, and then Nakatsuru moved over to the TV series. And it seems to be kind of a split, but then at the same time, you read things where they helped each other out, or Toriyama would send in his movie designs for, you know, movie enemies. Well, yeah, that's important to know, too, because Toriyama would do character designs for movie villains. Mm -hmm. So you've got him throwing things into the mix. So it's not like Nakatsuru or Yamamuro were coming up with every single villain all the time. We do know that Toriyama did that and they would tweak it. Yeah, he'd tweak it slightly or they would come up with it, send it to him. He would tweak it or he'd send it to them. You know, right. Somebody, a producer would go to Toriyama and say, hey, we need a, a really mean looking villain. Can you come up with somebody and of course he comes up with Janemba. And we have things like the two different color schemes for the movie nine villains where yeah. that stuff was just tweaked around before the final implementation. Now that I think about it, Bio Broly does seem kind of Yamamuro-esque. I'm not sure why, but it just, that just feels right. I know <laughs> Yamamuro is my number three. So maybe I put Bio Broly down there, but it just feels right. I'm not sure why, but I don't know. No, I get what you're saying. So anyway, you know, that's the divide that I normally see. I don't know if other people People see it and I'm just kind of blinded, but it, it seems like there's something more going on there. And I wish there was a little more clarification, especially for the TV series side of who exactly did what. Did yeah. what. So anyway, he's a great character designer and we all know that. I don't think there's any refuting that fact. So what are some of the key scenes, key character designs that he came up with? And the first one that I know we think of because we have an awesome tidbit on this extensively detailed is the original character designs for the Bardock TV special were done by Nakatsuru, but then they were later modified by Toriyama. And he also changed some of their names. Now I'm not going to go into great detail, but you can go read about it on your own time in the tidbits section. But it's just interesting to note that later on we'll get to a quote, but Nakatsuru was, could not believe how much Toriyama loved Bardock. That was like the highlight of his life. Yeah, that was the least changed of everyone. Like, I'm going to make his hair less wavy, just make it more like Goku's hair. Ah, we're done. And then the other one that I think, you know, may be the most important if you like GT is all of the characters in GT except for those 13 that Toriyama sort of redesigned. Right, but I mean, the grand scheme of GT, 64 episodes, how many characters do we have over the course of the series? Nakatsuru's in charge here. Yeah, I mean, he did all the villains and everything because Toriyama did the main characters, the main cast, but there weren't any villains that were really created besides, you know, Pilaf. But (laughs) other than that, Nakatsuru came up with all of it. So I think just from that standpoint... To be in charge of an entire series, especially after everyone that you've basically known on the staff, besides a few animators here and there, mm-hmm. have left. Yep. I mean, you're stuck with what's there, and He's you have to come one, up dude. with it, and that's what happens. Now, since we're on the GT kick, I have to say his most famous design probably ever is Super Saiyan 4. I think a lot of people just are really, I don't even know how to put it. It's one of those designs where you're not even sure what to make of it the first time you see it, especially if you've watched this series. Yeah. And he actually talks about how he came up with the idea at length in his Golden Warrior interview, which is really kind of funny because the interviewer asked him all sorts of questions. And I swear over half the interview is just them talking about Super Saiyan 4. Mm -hmm. And they reprint his original design that was in there. But he, I'll 
list a couple notes. He talks about the producers approaching him and and they asked him to design it for the story because they had come up with, you know, the later part of GT that they needed another transformation. And there are a lot of theories behind it as to, well, they went this route because GT ratings were dropping. They needed something more upfront that they could really pitch as the center of GT mm-hmm. and try to sell it. And there were lots of varied opinions apparently about the design. They had all sorts of ideas of what it should look like. Should he have gold hair? Should you know, should he have a tail? Whatnot. So basically Nakatsu ignored everyone. <laughs> which as any, you know, artists should do. Exactly. Which is the first sign that I don't care what you people say. I'm just gonna do this because I'm running the the show. So Nakatsu decided to make the transformation different from all the previous ones that had ever been done, even from what Toriyama had come up with. You know, he loves Toriyama, but even at this point, he says, I need to go away Mm -hmm. from what Toriyama did. This needs to be different. And it almost makes you wonder if part of him was saying, you know... I respect Toriyama, and I think a lot of people might not like Super Saiyan 4, so I'm going to make it completely different. So if someone out there really wants to separate it, they can. And also, it's one of those moments where he gets a chance to step out from behind Toriyama and just not be in the shadow anymore. This is all himself. Here, I'll read the quote that you threw in here. This is from the Golden Warrior? Yes. Okay. Nakatsuru says... The thought behind that hairstyle was to take it in a different direction than Super Saiyan 3 and make it wild. I made the fur red because it pretty much just seems strong. Right from the planning stage images, the idea had been to bring together Ozaru Goku and Super Saiyan Goku. Goku with primal power, that sort of thing. That's what I get from that design. That's absolutely it. I mean, that's what he came up with and he said, heck, this is what I'm going with. And he does note in the interview that he even tried it with gold hair. And he hated it. Yeah, basically. it wouldn't make any sense at yeah. that point. He really liked the red with the black. I think it works. It does everything that they wanted to and he wanted to set out to do. You get that power of the Ozaru, just the the hair everywhere, but also Super Saiyan where it's, you know, you're, you're still normal size, but you're containing the power of the Ozaru. And it, of course, I think we should toss it back to some of Toriyama's concepts for Super Saiyan 3. Uh, which Daisenshu is that? Is it four or two that has those designs two i believe maybe i can't remember the world story well yeah story story. uh, whichever one it is uh a potential design for super saiyan 3 did have a tail as well so is nakatsu bringing back that specific idea or is it just coincidence but I, i think whatever the concept was for super saiyan 4 he executed it as best as he thought he could and in terms of a design i think it's a very iconic design for that series and then the other thing to point out, I think, is we're not quite sure who came up with this idea, whether it was Nakatsuru or the producers. Do you mean Super Saiyan 4 in general? No, of him becoming an adult. Oh, okay, right, because it was a child at that point. So, you know, it's kind of, well, was that more story writing? But he would have to know he was going to be an adult when he came up with the design. So right. I don't know who came up with that, but it's something people can make a thread about and talk, I'm sure. Sure. Just to round it off, I think this really highlights Nakatsuru and everything that he's done for the series was the fact that he was honored to draw the final key animation pieces for the final scene of GT, where Goku turns around at the end, 
waves at us Get and that flies up into the air. dumb grin on his face. Yep. I can't think of anyone else I would want to animate that scene. And there's always something about it. Brought a smile to my face too. And I think it, it shines through who's doing it there. So with that, you know, I think those are the main key character designs that we have. He did numerous, you know, important scenes, what have you. But yeah. there are so many because he was a key animator for so many key episodes, especially being under uh, Maeda. That right. it, it's kind of hard to highlight all those. And I'm sure people will notice when they go back through. You're right. You, you think about Bardock and his team and Super Saiyan 4, and that gives you a perfect idea of Nakatsuru's style. So from there... I think we should talk about some promotional artwork because this man did a lot. <laughs> he sure Which did. is weird because, you know, we mentioned Maeda last time and how much he did for Dragon Ball in the early parts of Dragon Ball Z. Right. This guy did just as much. But then at the same time, Yamamuro did a lot too. It's just amazing how many promotional artwork pieces and merchandise stuff that they did. That's I mean, the thing. It's that there's so much merchandise that all three of these guys can honestly have that much work to their credit. Oh, and they are the only ones that they bring. When they do new things, they bring these guys back yeah, yeah. to do it. They don't get anybody else. They're like, yeah, we're going to use you. Nakatsuru, can you do this? Yamamuro, I want you to do this. And they oblige for some reason, probably because they love it. So first off, you know, we talked about GT. Of course, Nakatsuru came back. He did the cover art for the GT Perfect Files. I think he did most of any of the original work that was actually in the Perfect Files, though I believe most of it were reprints, yeah. screenshots, right. what have you. Um, and of course, the big ones, he did the first four Dragon Boxes. Yamamuro actually did the movie's Dragon Box. And I never really put two and two together until this afternoon when I was kind of coming up with this outline. If you remember, we talked earlier about how after Maeda left, there was kind of a divide. Nakatsuru kind of exclusively went to the TV series side of things. Yep. Yamamuro went over to the movies. So that makes sense. And it's almost kind of like a hark back to that when they did the dragon boxes and I had never put two and two together. Yeah. And, so. and you can see the distinct art style between the two of them, even though both of them are Toriyama style, you can still feel something between the two. Yeah. I think that's a good thing to note is they both are pretty good at it. I mean, they have their flaws, but nobody is Toriyama. Uh, and then he also did the two TV anime guides, Tenkaichi Densetsu and Son Goku Densetsu. And I found this really interesting because I don't know if we've ever really talked about it before, but Toriyama himself actually came up with the original concepts for the cover art. Oh, I didn't know that. And then Nakatsuru actually just completed the illustrations. Huh, so right. if you if you actually own both of those books and you, you take the dust cover off, mm -hmm. on the one side is the final uh, version, and then if you flip it over, the other side has a sketch. Oh. The, the sketched side is Toriyama's drawing, and the other side is Nakatsuru's final non-colored in. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to so, go check that out. Yeah. It's actually kind of neat, and you know, Nakatsuru actually talks about it a little bit in his interview with Toriyama in Son Goku Densetsu, hmm. and there's, there's little tidbits at the bottom and that's one of the tidbits that nice. they talk about and of course this one's for julian nakatsu did all of the cover art for his favorite of all time dragon ball z anti-manga releases those redundantly redundant releases greatest products of all time i own five of them i think i have one <laughs> 
the last one. Yeah, I think Julian bought me the last one. And then Nakatsuru was also responsible for the majority of Dragon Ball related cover art for V Jump. So, you know, a lot of those right. issues that feature Dragon Ball, he did that. And he also did a lot of the. I'll say more recent Cardass cards because I'm not sure about some of the older ones. I haven't really looked at them, but he did do a lot of those. And then he also did some of the Japanese video game cover art. Um, I'm sure he did more than what I have listed, but I know for sure he did the Dragon Ball Z series for the PS2, uh, which is known as Budokai in North America. But I should note, he did not do the North American Budokai cover art, right. which was different than the ones used in Japan. Right. You look at those Japanese covers and you can just, they scream just Nakatsuru. That, the first one that they did, Dragon Ball Z, the original. Just that shot, Goku. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. I love all three of those. And the Dragon Ball Z 2 cover, that's a toss back to, was it a weekly jump cover with the three characters firing? With the three characters. Yeah. yeah. And then the DBZ3 cover, which is Goku and Vegeta just like screaming at each other from the top left and bottom right. Oh, so good. So good. And then you got the stupid American Budokai 3 cover. It's like, oh, there's my fist. And then more recently, he did the cover art for the Extreme Battle Collection guidebooks, which mm. are suspect to quality because personally, I do not like them. But then he <laughs> completely made up for it when he did the cover art for the Golden Warrior Golden Illustration Warrior. Collection, sure. which is just freaking awesome very nice and i love how it has the reflective gold on the front dude that was what we talked about when it came out it was one of the best book releases for that franchise ever so good so good so from there i think this is what i wanted to close out with i wasn't really sure where to put this whole section in my outline so i put it at the end because i think it's the best part it's what most fans think of when you think of nakatsuru I know even on our forum, whenever anybody mentions it, someone will say, well, I'm not quite sure who that is. I'm not familiar with him. Can you explain it? And everyone's first response is always, oh, he draws like Toriyama. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, that's enough information. Gee, thanks. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, now I know who he is. But that's what a lot of fans specifically, and even other animators say about Nakatsu. That's right. how you know him. That's crazy. Like it's it's not an appropriate answer, but at the same time it's the best answer you can give. So as we've seen, you know, just through the various collaborations that he's done and the brilliant artwork that he's done, I think he's forever linked with Toriyama, one of the most famous manga artists of that time. Yeah, for better or worse. I mean, just like I was talking about earlier, he's kind of living in Toriyama's shadow, and I don't know that he always gets a chance to shine when he probably should, particularly with things like video game covers, but there's worse people to be mistaken for. Oh, definitely. I mean, he takes it as a compliment because, as we'll talk about later, he does not think he's as good as Toriyama. Well, come on. I'm going to be racist here. He's Japanese. What's he going to say? Like, fuck you guys. Why can't you pay attention to me? So, what I found really odd was, when I was doing some of the research, was that he actually said in his interview in Son Goku Densetsu that the two of them didn't actually meet until after Dragon Ball GT ended in 1997. Mind so, blown here. Yeah, he had worked on the entire series, all three of them. He's worked on movies. Wait, wait, wait. And they they never met in person. Until 1997. I don't because believe in, this. I know. In the interview, um, they ask, you know, when did you guys meet? It's one of the very first things they talk about. And Toriyama's just kind of like, ah, I don't really know. 
and Akatsu says, oh, well, that was seven years ago. And this <laughs> it was, was only seven years ago at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. what, 03? So, said? yeah, it was in 2003 was when they released Son Goku Densetsu. So it was just kind of like, what? Oh, my goodness. Really? And then he goes on to detail that it was after Dragon Ball GT ended and they met when he started working on the... 1990s remake of Dr. Slump mm. is when they first actually kind of got together. And we actually know this because until I read this, I, I never really put two and two together that that's when they met. But mm -hmm. we'll get to a quote later where he actually describes the first time he met Toriyama, which is really cool. Although he is well known for duplicating Toriyama's artistic style, which is what we talked about. Everybody notes that. It's neat. And at the same time, like you mentioned, a very Japanese answer that he's very modest about his abilities. Mm -hmm. He will not upstage Toriyama. So in his Golden Warrior interview, he was sort of asked about this. And Nakatsuru said that despite the fact that even now I'm trying to catch up with Toriyama Sensei, these 20 years, I've always felt that surely I'll never catch up to him. Sensei's just that amazing. You could say that this is a wall that I'm eternally unable to overcome. Now, one, that's just so nice to say, and two, that is the most Japanese answer I think you <laughs> Absolutely. could possibly give. Yep. I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. This guy's awesome. I respect him. Yep, and, yep. But then on the other coin, we have Toriyama. He praises Nakatsuru in his introduction to the GT Dragon Book for the Dragon Box. You want to read this one, Mike? Yeah, I'll, I'll play Toriyama here. I was able to rest easy, handing things over to the excellent staff who continued on Dragon Ball for all this time. In particular, the animator Nakatsuru-kun is amazingly skilled and mastered the peculiarities of my pictures in no time at all, to the point where there were even times when I couldn't tell whether I had drawn a certain character design or if he had. For instance, one of Nakatsuru-kun's designs was Super Saiyan 4, which appears in GT. And the picture above, and there's obviously a picture there, is a portrait that I drew looking off it. Did I draw it well? And then it's funny because maybe unbeknownst to him, you know, it's, well, not unbeknownst because he knows about it. They, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nakatsuru responds to Toriyama's statement in his interview in The Golden Warrior because the interviewer actually asked him, you know, what do you think of this? So Nakatsuru says, I was deeply moved that Sensei would be gracious enough to draw an anime-only character. At the time, there was a party commemorating the completion of the anime, GT, and Toriyama Sensei was kind enough to draw Kid Goku from Dragon Ball GT for me on color paper. So I'm quite attached to that Goku as well. I thought to myself, I'm such a happy fan. And it just kind of goes back to what we talked about before. And like I mentioned, it, this is the first time, as far as we can tell, that they ever met. That's was crazy Right at to the me. end of GT. And what does Toriyama do? He draws him a picture. Says, here you go, kid. Way to be awesome. That would be like if I had never met Julian. Ever. At this point in 2012. Because really Because you think they would have met. Six, seven, eight, nine, well, that would be nine years. Shit. I've known Julian for nine years. Anyway. It's crazy. And it was even longer than that because it was 02 that we start. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it was later in the interview in the Golden Warrior that he also said he was just a regular fan of yeah. Toriyama. So we have all these instances of, I'm just a regular fan. I'm doing this for the fun. So I think we can really see that even after GT ended, he was still just a fan at heart of Toriyama. I mean, it made his day to meet the man. So just like when he first volunteered for Dragon Ball, 
way back in 1986, he had the same spirit, the same love for Toriyama and his work, you know, in 1997. I think this pulls it back to a conversation we have pretty often, that Dragon Ball is a show for children. It's always been a series of franchise, a manga, TV series, movies, for little boys. That's what Shonen is. That's who the target audience is. But there is something about Dragon Ball, and Toriyama's art in particular, that just makes children of us all. And we just smile and have such fun and... You hear it from us every week and you read our words daily on the website, just how much Toriyama has meant to us over the years. Can you imagine being in this position where you get to work on it too? And you can just hear that childlike innocence of Goku kind of being reflected in Nakatsuru as he talks about Toriyama and working on the series. It's this magical thing that, uh, oh, it's so I mean, good. It's- Yeah, it's one of those things that we could only dream about. I mean, you imagine you've studied this man, you love his technique, you want to become an artist in the animation field because of this man, and all of a sudden an opportunity comes along that you get to work on his stuff. Not only do you work on it, you excel at it, and you become really good, and you move up the ladder, and eventually it climaxes with you meeting basically your idol of all time and he's like did you draw that or did i i don't know that's amazing that's amazing i think i'm gonna end this with this little bit okay which is what we talked about earlier in the q a featured in the first dragon box z's dragon book nakatsuru was asked uh I'll, i'll preface this with a lot of the staff was interviewed and they gave them seven questions and then each of them answered the same seven questions and so for this question nakatsuru said that the thing he most enjoyed about being on the production staff for Dragon Ball Z was when Toriyama adopted the TV special episode about Goku's father into the manga. Yep. And that was essentially the highlight of his career. At that point, it was almost like he didn't care what happened. I mean, he cared, but... (laughs) That's one of those die-happy moments, yep. Yeah. So, in the end, he's just a great man. I mean, he really is... I know we've gushed over him already enough, but when it comes down to it, he's known for two things. He accurately duplicates Toriyama's artistic style, and he came up with Super Saiyan 4. Yep. So there you go. That's Nakatsu. He's awesome. We mentioned the same thing back when we did the Maeda episode, but Dragon Ball and Toriyama are linked forever. The the two are, I don't want to say one in the same, but you can't do one without the other. But for Dragon Ball to become what it became, you need these other people. And the fact that they were able to do it with such professionalism and artistic merit and honor and happiness it's i don't know it's kind of emotional when you really think about it just how Mm -hmm. fantastic these people all were when they came together to produce something better than any of them could on their own well i think it's interesting to note because nakatsuru says this in his his golden war interview and there are so many good quotes in there that i wanted to pull in but i didn't because i knew we would just literally be reading the entire interview. <laughs> I know, and that's not fun. You can just can read it yourself. But he talks about how when they were doing Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, the animation staff themselves, I don't think he specifically mentions everybody else, but they all were friends. They all worked together on Dragon Ball to make it better. And then he also mentions it's there was a slight rivalry between some of them. And you want they, that, though. Exactly, because that's how you strive. You want to be better. 
and well, sure, you want to show up this guy and make him look horrible. But he said that there would be points where all of a sudden an episode would come out. And they, of course, being fans of Dragon Ball, they would go watch it and it would be an episode they hadn't worked on. And they'd go, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, so and so can draw like this. I had no idea. And so they would kind of harass each other and they were friends and rivals. And I mean, what more could you ask for? It's the stories like that that, you know, keep the shonen world going. I love it. I just love hearing these guys talk about each other and with each other and all the stories that made the show. And I love talking about the show itself. Like Gohan was this age and he did this thing. And how do you think that affects his character? And how did that affect the other characters? And what are the repercussions of that? But I really love this stuff too. Like this is the stuff that made those characters those characters and acted the way they acted and appeared the way they appeared. It's I think it's just one of those important things to know. I mean, it, it really, for me, adds a whole nother background to the series. I mean, we all know what the series is and we love the series, what it is. But when you can add these little, little bits of information, I think it just kind of throws everything up a little bit. What I love about all of this is that it's not like you're seeing what's behind the curtain and you kind of get disappointed at how it was constructed. I think it only adds to it. And everything that we've ever talked about with these people, I feel like I get more. I gain a better understanding, a better appreciation, and it makes everything more magical. Definitely. So uh, I think that's enough hyperbole for me. (laughs) And I'll just, you know, what he said. That's fair. All right, man. So that was Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru. We've done Minoru Maeda. We've done Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru. Next up on the list at some point down the road, Tadayoshi Yamamoro. We'll get to him. We will. All right. So that's going to wrap up the topic. Uh, I've decided we're not going to do releases because it's just those Kai seasons over here in the U.S. So uh, let's look at our phones and see if we have any questions. All right, here's something we have the uh, from the contact forum over on kanzenshu.com from our buddy Josh Kendamu. Hey, Mike. Hey, Ensemble Cast. Hey, possible guest this week. So, we all know that not too terribly long ago, Funimation suspended the production on the DBZ Blu-rays. They cited something about how they needed to find a more efficient, less expensive way, or whatever, to do the restoration since their current method was too awesome and would ruin their reputation of fucking up DBZ almost always. My question goes out to mainly people who know more about restoring footage and whatnot than I do, but what other methods are out there that would get the job done the way they want it done while being less of whatever the heck the problem was? Thanks for your time. Thanks for giving me something to listen to while I was on the airplane on my recent trip. Well, we exist to provide people with uh, workday entertainment, trip entertainment, uh, gym entertainment. I'm a big proponent of podcasts at double speed on the treadmill. I think that's the uh, best way to listen to shows. And to speed up your run. Yes. I don't understand what goes on when I listen to podcasts at single speed. I'm like, why are all these bumper music so slow? Oh, that's right. I'm not double this speed. This isn't motivating go. me at all. All right. So uh, I guess we can also mention that Lance and Adam from Funimation were on Ancast this past week and uh, the Blu-rays were mentioned. We didn't update about it because it was kind of like non-news where it was, yep, they were canceled, suspended, sort of coy, not really saying what's going on. We'd like to get back to it. We thought it was a great product, but now's not the time. So I guess the question we have to answer here is what would make it the right time and what would make it the right process if this wasn't it? We kind of talked about this extensively when the sets were first announced and then when we reviewed them, but Funimation invested heavily in new hardware to do these sets specifically and now they're done with them and we 
were kind of wondering if they would be able to use them on any other future products. But if this wasn't going to swing it, then what could they do? Heath, I guess is the question. If they wanted to continue this product right now, which they don't, it sounds like they're going to wait on this because the orange bricks are... Yeah, it sounds like they basically hinted at the market is already oversaturated right. and... They noted that the orange bricks are still selling very well. They noted that the dragon boxes sold very well. And at this point, they started doing this. God knows why they decided to do it now, which is what we asked to begin with. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if there's any other series specifically for Funimation that they could use this equipment on. I'm sure there is some, but nothing that's such a money machine like Dragon Ball Z is for them. The only other appropriate series from the time that would have been film that would make sense would have been Yu Yu Hakusho which got a wonderful Blu-ray transfer in Japan that they licensed right so it throws that out the window I mean I don't know the ins and out of the specific hardware but I got the impression that it was better for older film than it would be for uh, digital based products but I can't speak authoritatively on it that it seems essentially like what they use for restoring Dragon Ball Z to make Dragon Ball Kai yeah similar type of um, stuff yeah yeah so from that perspective that stuff is expensive and they knew they couldn't sell sets for high prices and a lot of people already own that stuff and that's about it that's what they ran into and unfortunately there's not much else they can do about it yeah, the answer there, I mean, the the cost there is the time for employees to do the work. And if it's not making the money they need it to make, well, that means the time is later. It's labor is always going to be the cost that labor is. And that's that's it. Or it goes up. Yeah. You know, and it will always go up because we hope <laughs> so i don't know if that answers the question but it sounds like funimation underestimated just how well the orange bricks were gonna continue to do and it, i thought it was really interesting that they said that no we don't really think kai contributed to this lack of interest in it because kai was going for a different audience a younger audience get them hooked on it but my theory has always been and they kind of hinted at it themselves too in different ways that yeah you got the kids hooked on kai and they went down to the store and they bought the $13 orange brick sets. Yeah, basically. So... I mean, it's kind of ironic that the one thing they used to raise a ton of money so that they could do other projects <laughs> has also killed the thing they were trying to do. Yeah. So I don't know if there's anything else we could ever say about this subject up until another home release is announced or planned. And uh, I believe they talked a bit more about future Dragon Boxes. Is it possible? Well, retail really sucks for that. So it primarily probably be an online thing. And is that going to be possible at the price point? But we'll see. I mean, Funimation, we know they got the license through 2015. We got a couple more years for them to crap something out. I guess my only comment for the Dragon Box aspect that they, they mentioned, because a lot of people got really excited. Oh, they talked about that. But you know, yeah, they yeah. noted that the biggest issue they had was just the amount of money they had to spend to create the boxes. But the only good thing I can see coming out of it is the fact that, you know, Dragon Ball Z, they split up into seven, which had two boxes. All the other ones have less episodes. And, right. You know, they weren't as big of boxes except for Dragon Ball, which was just one box. But everything will actually be a little smaller. The only problem at this point is... If you're going to sink that much money into, say, GT to release a Dragon Box, you know, version of it, who all is going to buy it? You know, GT is just not as popular as Z, and they know that, and that's part of the issue. And then you also, you were talking about where it, 
they broke two sets down into seven sets. Well, we've already had two sets of GT before. So to make this one special or different, they would kind of have to do a single 64 episode set because then it'd be like, well, what's different about this two sets from this two sets? And part of the reason, well, is... That brings it to the point that Dragon Box was necessary for Z more than anything else because of the yes. orange bricks. Yep. So, I mean, you're you're gaining stuff, yes, from blue bricks and green bricks to Dragon Box, but the jump is not as significant as it was from the orange bricks. I think the only thing that would sell as well would be if they did the movies. Movies, two sets. I think that's what they should do. I think that's the best. Even though they had the steel books and they did Blu-rays of those, and then people would be like, "Well, why don't we get a Blu-ray release? You have Blu-rays before. Why is this DVD version better than your Blu-ray version?" So I don't know if they've kind of set themselves up for failure for everything else ever. But I'll buy them. One, I know you will. So even though you have the Japanese Dragon Box, I don't care. I'll buy it. I'm a whore. I don't care. Well, at least we've established that. All right, this email here. We're gonna move on. This comes to us from. Uh, I don't know, Jay Smithy. It's not really a question, but I want to read this because you and I enjoy drunken conversations about Dragon Ball. And so this is really just more of a story. Oh, there's a question at the end here. All right. So I just want to thank you and everyone involved for strenuously putting together this site. Tonight, I partook in a rather drunken debate with about six other friends over Dragon Ball trivia. As a devout fan, the word devout hardly begins to describe the peak of my obsession, more like apostolic, since the age of five, almost 20 now, I pride myself greatly on the Dragon Ball knowledge I possess. Having stumbled upon this site for the first time in a while, I actually learned something new. I've always been vastly interested in the process by which Akira Toriyama went about creating the series I so wholeheartedly worshipped in my youth. I'm actually an artist myself, currently studying to become an animator. As I'm sure you can relate, the amount of influence Toriyama has given to me as an artist, as a creative thinker, is immeasurable. Once again, thanks. Sincerely, a Dragon Ball fan for life. P.S. Here's the question. (laughs) Not really a Dragon Ball question, but uh, relevant to things we've talked about. I've been dying to watch the original Dr. Slump, yet there doesn't seem to exist an English subtitled version or even a fan sub anywhere. Might you know where I could find this? Does it even exist? Or should I just buy Rosetta Stone and fucking learn Japanese? Love that question. We've gotten it quite a few times. Uh, Dr. Slump never really formally properly licensed in the U.S. in terms of the anime. It sounds like maybe Harmony Gold had it at some point around their Dragon Ball thing 89-ish. Not entirely sure. Uh, but no, the manga is entirely out by Viz and it sounds like they're doing it digitally as well. I know for a while volume 9 from Viz was out of print. You couldn't get it anymore. It was going for about 60 bucks. That really sucks. But digitally you can pick them up for like 5 or 6 bucks if you do their uh, iPad reader app, that kind of stuff. But the TV series, yeah, he they got uh, R2 releases, but um, I'm sure someone's fan subbed some episodes. I know that they did early on, but like the entire length of the series, you're kind of boned. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. If you look really hard, I couldn't tell you where to look because I really have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's where the that thing. Like, <laughs> even if we wanted to tell you, we, we don't know. So we're not really helpful in that respect. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Viz manga, other, I mean, it's got some censoring here and there. And But overall, it's pretty faithful and it's very enjoyable. I mean, so you could buy the slump boxes from Toei Animation. And I mean, like you said, just learn Japanese. Done. Yeah. I, I like the latter option. You know, uh, I think that will take you much farther in life if you learn Japanese and don't let all those dicks out on the internet try to 
translate things for you because they're so untrustworthy. They're and that's biased. They don't know. Exactly. They're just pushing their agenda. The man trying to get you down, making you think that someone's stronger than someone else. It ain't happening, man. It ain't happening. It's not going down that way. Arale is the champ. That's all I got. That's, uh, I mean, there's other emails. There's other questions. I'm sure they're out there. Do you see anything you want to attack here? In this, I want to uh, attack a lot of things. Unending, never-ending show there are words i'm sure we use them appropriately at some points in time two of us scrolling through our phones are there any other questions we didn't prepare this part of the show let's call it man it's uh dead here at 9 35 p.m eastern time i think i'm gonna go i don't know i play enough video games today maybe i'll uh, sit and talk to my wife for a while whoa news flash crazy Mike i know mary i know what? no actually we went out to dinner already the last two nights because we're lazy and didn't feel like cooking, oh, okay so. so you did talk to her so <laughs> we have good. had extensive conversations so i can ignore her for an hour and a half now and do a show yeah i also have that luxury of having to talk to my wife <laughs> <laughs> luxury all right man uh plug uh, it's weird as i'm like hey why don't you plug constantine but same site now there you go you can find us at www.kanzenshuu.com and you can find all sorts of cool things julian's working on lyrics mike's working on news I got the manga stuff up. I'm working on finishing up the I, Wait, wait. Guide. I love how you're like, Mike's doing news. I you're the only one guess. that's doing news, man. Face the facts. <laughs> it's it's the thing I do. Which I'm very happy because I don't have to do it. I got the Ultimate Butoden review coming up as well. Well, there you go. Plug that. See? So we've got things. We're working on things. Um, wait, here's, you know, here's a question. Still porting here's, things over. Here's a question relating to porting things over. I know okay. you had Golden Warrior stuff over on Constantine. Is that incorporated into anything coming soon that we can point people to? Um, what was that a part of? That was in the data book. The translation. That was in the translation section. But okay, you know, if you want, I can probably get that done tonight. Hey, I'm not requesting i'm simply inquiring or demanding you know whatever you want to call it i think it would be nice to have it up so maybe it'll be up along with this episode you got a couple days i'm not going to edit this tonight or anything so okay good then maybe i'll do it tomorrow (laughs) you can do it tomorrow i'm probably not going to edit tomorrow either so you got plenty of time to get this done good because it's not happening right now all right you can demand all you want all right man uh call it we done we out i suppose i gotta go pack you know the whole moving thing yeah you're moving Nice. I am. Congrats, yeah, man. I'm a big boy now. Welcome to the club. You got that birthday it's a coming fun up. Club. You're going to be, what are you, like 19 now? Yeah, something like that. You know, you, you can go find out in the thread on Consensu forums. And yeah, what the hell, man? Post their age. Where are the old people? I feel bad. Scott Morgan's like, wait, how am I the oldest person? I don't understand. I know there's people older, and no one is posting. I don't know if. No one wants to comp up to their age or what? <laughs> but come on, the 14-year-olds are kicking all their asses. I know, and they're all like, yeah, I started visiting the site when I was seven, and I'm thinking to myself, my site is as old as you are. Please make this stop. And head This explode. is very, very inappropriate. All right. Consensu. So I'm going to go pack. Yes. Uh, those people can go find us at Consensu. Julian is doing who knows what. 
Jake, I have no idea. You are going to go talk to your wife, sir. You're going to go talk to your wife. This is a plan. Okay. All right. It's a plan. Konzenshi.com. This is episode 299. Some kind of very exciting episode 300 is coming your way next week. It's going to be poop on a stick. Snuck up on me very, very fast. Konzenshi.com. Folks, have a lovely week. We'll check you next time. 